0: Integrating new pieces of technology also requires that we change our behavior, and we don't change as quickly as technology. You can buy a new piece of software, but to have that actually influence how you run your business is slower moving. So for leaders today, it's important that they recognize that this change is coming.
1: Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies.
2: I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Data is the new oil, but collecting data could also mean distracting your operators from focusing on jobs. Moreover, just because you collected millions of data points, drawing insights or meaning could be challenging if your systems are siloed and don't communicate with each other. Finally, the data quality issues may result in poor sales and operations planning, impacting your bottom line and growth. In today's episode, we have our guest, Martin Cloak, who discusses different barriers associated with artificial intelligence and industry 4.0 adoption. While technology has come a long way, he shares his insights into how behavioral challenges impact manufacturers to operate with a continuous improvement mindset. Finally, he discusses why siloed systems result in companies operating in two sets of KPIs and ledgers and the impact on the growth of this siloed mindset. Let me introduce Martin to you. Martin is an experienced executive and award-winning technology entrepreneur with a background in manufacturing, hardware development, and operations management. Martin holds multiple patents and is a mechanical engineering and business graduate from McGill, University in Montreal, Quebec. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Martin, welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Of course. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and current focus, Martin? Absolutely.
0: So, I, I work at Raven AI. We serve manufacturers, helping them to improve performance with data. But maybe I'll just sort of describe sort of what got me into this. So, my background is in high tech. You know, I worked in telecom in sort yeah. of the boom of the, uh, the 2000s. Uh, but when I graduated, I got recruited by a company called Blinds to Go uh, in Montreal and New Jersey, custom blind manufacturers. So, I was a high tech guy, jumped into manufacturing, which is really really where I got my start in this field here. And one of the things that was most interesting was that my impression of manufacturing going to school in engineering at McGill and yep. my actually seeing what it was in reality once I got there was, was completely different. And, and one of the biggest challenges that, or differences that I found was that in the impression is from an engineering perspective and a technological perspective is that it's a, a series of processes and machines uh, that have to be optimized with uh, math where, where effectively manufacturing yep. today is still very much a uh, people organization. So that's how I got into manufacturing. And then from that is really what triggered my observation that manufacturers struggled to use data in an effective way. And I founded Raven or co-founded Raven partly based on my experience in manufacturing and and the desire to make it so that manufacturers could spend the time they need with their operators to drive those kinds of behavioral changes to improve while getting access to all the, the real-time insights needed to to guide their actions in the most effective way.
2: Okay, amazing. So obviously there is going to be a very exciting discussion here uh, since you are doing some cutting edge stuff, but uh, there are going to be some foundational element that need to be in place to be able to take advantage of this cutting edge technologies. But before we do that, We have one standard question here, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth, Martin. What does growth mean to you? I would
0: say that it means evolution and a positive evolution in in some ways in business and personally. In order to be successful, you need to be constantly, you need to have a growth mindset and you need to be constantly looking for opportunities to improve. So I, I associate growth with continuous improvement in a business setting. And I would say in a business context, a continuous improvement comes from a, a realistic and true view of where you currently are which is a struggle and challenge for many organizations. I think our true view of where we are, we typically rely on our our feelings and instincts, which, which absolutely have value. But for the most successful organizations, they combine their instincts about where they are with data to support those instincts. And I think the first step is to know where you are and where you've been. And for those who are most successful, they're able to take that information and change their behavior to continuously improve.
2: Okay, amazing. So this is a very interesting point. And that's probably a sort of growth barrier, in my opinion. If you ask any organization, they are going to say, I understand my business, I understand my business very well. But in reality, in my opinion, I don't think they have the thorough understanding just because they don't have either enough Data or enough quality data is what I would like to call. So, in your opinion, Martin, what are some of the key growth barriers and the challenges that you are seeing in the market at this point of time? When you talk about, uh, you know, realistic and true view, and obviously combining that with instinct.
0: Well, and I don't want to discount the power of instinct. So many say medium-sized organizations have become very successful based on the instinct yeah. of people in leadership positions. And I think there's, there's a lot of power there. I think one of the things that slows growth and slows continuous development is the fact that this growth and development is very much dependent on the instincts of leadership. So one of the benefits of getting a clearer view of what is happening and a true view is that you can share the burden of growth with others because others don't need to rely as heavily on instinct. So in some ways, the, one of the main benefits of new technologies that are making it easier to see what, what things are happening is in some ways making it easier to perform at that transformational level that typically only the top can do. So just imagine like a, a chess master. It, it took us a long time to be able to beat that chess master with software. Yep. But if you compare today if you take an average chess player and give them average chess software they are going to beat that chess master which shows that the combination of good skill and good software can outperform skill alone and that's really the potential here where you can you can perform at a chess master level by combining your instincts with software
2: yeah and i completely agree with respect to your uh, comment about these instinct but if you have to have the quality instinct and if you look at some of the successful leaders the reason why they have successful instinct is because they have lived through the quality information and the way our human bodies and and brains work is uh, you know the people who are really good at judgment they are able to filter out the information really quality information from noise and that's why they are so good at instinct and they can make quality decisions. So even our human bodies and, and and brains they require quality data the quality environment the positive environment for us to be able to make decisions what would be your thoughts on that i mean see instinct is, is definitely foundationally rely on the quality of data and obviously when you talk about the infrastructure that has to have the quality data as well
0: absolutely and, and i would say that the age of being able to to rely on instinct alone is is going away quickly in in manufacturing in some ways you know i would say we're we're often behind the times a little bit but things are changing and covid has only accelerated that where for people to rely exclusively on instincts today to guide their business is a risky proposition, and those are the kinds of businesses that are are not growing and are not evolving, and will struggle to maintain competitiveness as others are, you know, as as everybody's diving into being to bringing in technologies to support them here. So I think it's key for leaders to recognize that there's a shift that's accelerating right now, and to take those same skills that made them successful to drive their businesses to this point, and use that to find the right technology partner and service partners to help them jump to the next level. Because if they wait too long, at some point, their their competitors will be ahead. And being ahead isn't simply the fact that you, you have software or you don't have software. One of the biggest things that we often discount in this phase of growth is that adopt you know changing our organizations you know integrating new pieces of technology also requires that we change our behavior and we don't change as quickly as technology you can buy a p- new piece of software but to have yeah. that actually influence how you run your business is slower moving so for leaders today it's important that they recognize that this change is coming and don't discount the fact that change management within their organization is likely going to be more difficult than simply purchasing or partnering up with a technology partner.
2: Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'm actually going to go back to the earlier comment about manufacturing being people-centric organization. So when we think more from the data perspective, the more manual intervention that we have in the process, it's likely that we are not going to... Have- have the data that uh, either the machine or the software is going to require to be able to process so obviously humans are very good at instinct and that's what they should be looking at they should be acting on the data they should be making decisions on the data so when you look at the current landscape of manufacturing what are some of the key barriers that you are seeing on the shop floor with respect to system in having a lot of manual intervention in the process and because of that the barrier to the key insight that businesses can really use utilize for their competitive advantage
0: so you know i think there's i don't know if you've heard the term data is the new oil probably yeah so this is a very dangerous statement with regards to its impact on people on the shop floor so by making the statement data is the new oil what has happened is that many organizations are treating their operators on the shop floor as a source of data and to your point here there's a lot of data that we can get from them but the reality is that by asking your operators to provide and feed these data systems it is, by definition, a source of waste. Yep. So these systems are often set up in a way that discounts the fact that what our operators need is to be left alone to run their process, and they need a lever to apply pressure on the organization to get support. What they don't need is to be constantly distracted by data. So I think one of the, th- the fundamental mistakes is that organizations are have redefined what success is, and collecting data is not success. Success is better product to your customers, better profits, yep. better jobs for people on the shop floors. So I would say that the, one of the biggest challenges on the shop floor is just the whole frame of these transformations where it's centered around data and not centered around continuous improvement, which goes back to you know, our comment about growth. So the way to sort of view this change, our view here is I, I'm not sure I'm sure if you're familiar of just the, the, the concept of servant leadership. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, sure, I'm sure you are. So <laughs> so be- effectively, at, at a, if you are in a manufacturing organization and you're not standing in front of a machine, it is your duty to do whatever you can to help them be more effective in their job. And that could be to help them figure out how to not spend too much time doing setup and and help them run their machines more effectively. So what we don't need to do is to to slow them down with data collection. So I think one of the things that I question that people should ask is, when and whenever we're being asked operators to input data into the system, we should question how many questions we're asking of them, and we should question whether or not we're asking dumb questions. (laughs) So if you're asking a dumb question frequently, you probably don't have the right system. So on occasion, you can ask questions to provide context, if the purpose is to apply pressure to the organization to fix important problems. So I think that if you ask that question is, are we asking too many dumb questions, it sort of frames kind of the technology solutions you have on the shop floor in a bit of a different way. And that's the biggest challenge. So When people say data is the new oil, they are pointing themselves in the wrong direction.
2: Yeah, and those dumb questions are not fun even for humans. I mean, see, they don't appreciate procedural stuff. Just data collection for the sake of it when they don't know what you are going to be doing with this data. (laughs) So it's an interesting dynamic there. So now what we are going to do, Martin, we are going to take the human side of picture from the equation, because obviously, people issues are slightly harder to solve in my experience. Okay, so let's talk about purely uh, from the software and, and machine interaction perspective. So again, going back to the landscape of manufacturing, typical small to medium size manufacturer. So let's say keeping the human element aside, what are some of the challenges that you are noticing in the market at this point of time, when you look at the kind of software these manufacturers may be using at this point of time, the kind of machines they may be using at this point of time and the challenges that they face, number one, with respect to data collection and the key insight that can that they can really utilize for their competitive advantage.
0: I think in many cases, the, the story of digital transformation in the industry 4.0 that's being told by service providers and technology providers is not the story that's most important to most manufacturers. And, and what happens is that manufacturers get overwhelmed with the idea that they they need to digitally transform and implement industry 4.0 and, and perform predictive of analytics and all this, where effectively the kinds of things that they would benefit from now are much, much simpler there are many manufacturers today that have combinations of equipment that are legacy equipment from 30 years ago, equipment that they just got recently. And many manufacturers don't have a clear view of what has happened recently. So, and when I say what has happened recently, if if we asked a manufacturer to reconstruct the timeline of what happened on a given station yesterday, they will struggle to do so. They will struggle to identify that they can capture how much it's run, but it's difficult to understand why it wasn't running or why it was slowed down. And this is kind of going back to the previous, comment about capturing data from people like the context that people can provide to those systems is critical to understanding how they're spending their time so the narrative should start off with the first thing is do you know what's happening right now really do you know what's happened recently and many many factors aren't at that level because they don't have that reliable true data set even capture those most simple things and one of the things when you begin to capture the simple stuff that's really the first effective step on your digital journey know what is happening know what has happened and then the next phase once you're confident that you have those, you can begin to understand why did it happen, which is kind of the next level of analytics. And then the net, the final step is to predict what's going to happen and, and avoid bad things. But I think people aren't recognizing that you need to go through those steps in that sequence. Yep. And one of the benefits of starting in that sequence is that it's really to, easy to get operators to understand the first level. We just want to know what happened yesterday and then operators understand, okay, what happens is that vendors are pitching analytics tools and predictive tools which are jumping to the end, which A, are typically based on trying to squeeze value out of bad data, and B, nobody understands on the shop floor because we've introduced this tool that's not needed at the wrong time. So you create disengagement and a system that doesn't work here. So I, I would say that it's it's shocking that to many manufacturers that they can start so simply and get so much value, and this is what we've done for Danaher and, and various other organizations and Sanofi, the first steps on this journey don't have to be that hard. In some ways, leaders should be discounting all the jargon-filled posts with perfectly hashtags on Twitter and LinkedIn and have a conversation about continuous improvement and see what technology is available to help them accelerate that.
2: Okay, amazing. So let's start with some stories. And obviously, I mean, you are going to have tons and tons of fascinating stories where using data, probably you had some sort of insight, and that actually rocked the world of, let's say, manufacturers. So do you have any specific stories that you would like to share? And typically, what I like to cover in this story is the previous situation, whatever they were doing, it could be some sort of challenges that trigger, what actually happened, and because of which, probably you were brought into the equation, your team analyzed the system, and then finally, some sort of outcome, right? So do you have any stories that you would like to share?
0: Absolutely. So I have a great story about a, a Danaher plant in California okay. uh, we've been working with for a while. And on, are, are you familiar with
2: Danaher? A little bit. <laughs> so maybe you so, can so Dan- tell me a little bit more. And uh, my yeah, audience so, so, is probably not going to be familiar with it, right? So if you can okay, talk so about just, the product, and, the industries.
0: Yeah, so, so Danaher Dan- Dan is a multinational Manufacturer with multiple different sectors. What they're known for is they're known for being experts in uh, in operational excellence. Right? Their 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 culture, continuous improvement culture. Their team is extremely extremely talented, and, and it's always amazing to go visit any of their plants here. So we started serving a plant in California making uh, uh, small metal components, and you know beginning to sort of try and figure out how to allow for them to keep up with demand. And they're they're in the dental industry, so. How can we help them keep up with demand? And what their hypothesis was in you know, as we began to work with them was that you know they had issues with machine reliability, which is often what triggers a conversation with a technology provider, where we think our machines aren't reliable. We're spending a lot of time fixing them. Let's get some more details and data from the machine. So so we set up our technology with them collaboratively and simply did that first phase that I just described earlier. What is actually happening at the machines? And there was issues with machine reliability, but it, but that wasn't the main cause for lost productivity. So, when a machine breaks down, there are actually multiple segments of time that capture you know, that are the capture the different kinds of losses. So, you can imagine that, you know, you and I are working at a machine and the machine breaks down. So, yeah. the first time segment is the machine's broken down. How long does it take for us to actually call for maintenance? So, there's a little segment there which is yeah. we're, we're trying to figure out. And then the next segment, once maintenance has been called, how long does it take for them to arrive? And then once yeah. they got there, how long does it take to fix? And then once they're done, how long does it take for us to start up again? So when time was split up into those segments, what we found out was that they were losing 600 machine hours per month waiting for maintenance to arrive. So a machine hour, say it's worth $1,000 of product. that is a tremendous amount of lost time. And now if you were to chat with their maintenance team and their supervisory team, there there wasn't a lack of goodwill towards solving this. It was just there was a little, little tweak in their process that was making it so maintenance wasn't arriving on time. So with this insight, the next step was to how do we alert maintenance when this has happened? And how do we show them how well they are doing at solving this particular problem? So in this case here, the problem was how do we increase improve maintenance response time to service requests? And it sounds so simple. So they, they reduced that loss from over 600 per month to under 100 a month in 6 months resulting in millions of dollars of additional production and reduced cost and it's it was shocking how simple it is so like when people begin the conversation about we want to predict when the vibration of this motor is going to get to the point where we're going to it's going to break that is such a small sliver of an opportunity Where if the goal is simply to continuously improve, provide product to your customers faster and and, uh, reduce costs and actually create a good job here because nobody wants to be waiting, often the first things that you'll see are shockingly mundane. And I think time and time again, when we begin to work with world-class companies, we see the same thing where its leaders are almost surprised to see how simple the first thing is. And then from a practical standpoint, I find that many organizations try to do too much at the same time. So if you're running your operations, and if you were to focus on one or two things at a time, it's way easier to drive gains and actually get your team... On board with the initiative because it's easy to wrap their heads around. So now the machinist at that station, they don't want to be waiting. If you think of the system, to, the goal here is to get it where maintenance comes sooner to fix their machines. There's no operator that's that's going to fight that because it's solving a specific problem. So that's just a, a I would say a a great example of how the narrative of the kinds of things that manufacturers need and the way to drive these massive gains is not as complex as people believe.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because the kind of you know, space that I operate in in the SMB space sometimes they are not even tracking these uh, machine hours or the product cost. They just don't have a sense of how much time they might be wasting in between runs and how much the product may be costing. And sometimes that cost is not really accounted towards the product. So they don't really have a true sense of their product cost. So in this particular case, did they have true sense of uh, how much the time was wasted? Can you talk a little bit from the financial data collection perspective? What were their processes and how they recognized that they were wasting this time? Was it because just from the conversation, that they felt that they were wasting six hundred machine hours, or were they? Did they have actual tracking of financial hours as well?
0: Well, so so maybe I'll I'll sort of talk about it from an SME context. So Danaher is a, is a, an organization that has a very good sense of the connection between their operational data sets and their financial data sets. So like that's yeah. something that. But I would say for many smaller manufacturers and some larger manufacturers, it's it's always surprising how it seems like plant management has two sets of books. They have the the set of books that is looking at operational metrics, and then they have the financial metrics, and the connection between those two is often tenuous, and and it's almost like you see a plant manager with two ledgers on on their desks, (laughs) one and one with the other, and it's always a bit of a joke here where, you know, when you're trying to prove the, uh, you're you're laughing there, but when you're trying to prove the value of a system, they have to somehow map between the two, and they always get frustrated.
2: Yeah, so typically, I'm the finance guy on the floor, and I remember a lot of times I got kicked out from the shop floor because the team felt that... I don't belong there. Who are you?
0: Yeah, were you wearing a white shirt and uh, <laughs> shiny shoes?
2: I have to. I'm an
0: ERP consultant, brother. There you go. See that, that was a problem. If you go on the shop floor with a white shirt and shiny shoes, then people will look at you funny. Yeah, you, you have you have to you have to dress for the <laughs> dress for the for the right
2: spot. I was rookie back then, and then I figured out. I, I learned my lesson.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs>
2: Okay, Martin, so yeah, so you were talking about the financial and operational data. So do you want to touch a little bit uh, on that from the SME perspective?
0: Yeah, so I, th- I think the, uh, and, and maybe this is leading into a conversation just about how organizations tend to have data silos. And and yep. one of the the most obvious data silo is that between the planning and financial data and the operational data. And this is very much a function of, you know, how our, our systems are set up. And I know your space is kind of the ERP space. And ERPs were not designed to facilitate connections between data in, in different sections. They, they, were, they were designed to have, be a one place store for all this different data. One of the challenges with supply chain, supply chain operates on a, on a daily basis or on a, on a, whereas on operations side, it's, it's, it's in real time. So you have these two different systems that are often, we're trying to optimize them in isolation where they are absolutely connected. And I think the plant manager recognizes that, but often the, the technology solutions that are, we're providing to manufacturers uh, don't play well together. And if you have these two systems connected together that are being optimized separately, you are not setting yourselves up for success to be efficient. You're almost baking in thrash into your system that is going to make it inefficient. And I think that's one of the reasons why many manufacturers are struggling to see the benefits of tweaking one aspect of their system, because optimizing supply chains is great, but if your operations can't... Keep up; then It's not going to work. And I have, I have an example here, which is right now, more and more people or consumers have a desire for quick delivery of customized goods. And manufacturing has is way more efficient when you have slow delivery of the same kinds of things. So the consequence of, of this shift to quick delivery of customized goods is there's a lot more pressure on manufacturers to basically make up for mistakes in the plan. So it's almost like the approach the, the, the approach to come up with a plan for production and then execute that plan is, is failed from the start. So what I see happening on the operations side is you have a production plan with a certain sequence that may be optimized, but then every day there's a backlog of orders that didn't get completed the previous day. And then because you all have a duty to your customers, you jam those orders back in your production lines and you basically blow up whatever plan they had and manufacturers are having to switch from one job to the next, to the next, to the next in, a, in, a, in an extremely inefficient sequence that results in very low performance and that this is not um, the fault of operations and it's not the fault of the planning. It's the fault of the fact that the two systems are not connected. And the model of trying to plan a week out when that's not how consumers want to consume is resulting in a lot of thrash. And I think the, the real opportunity here is, is to connect those two systems in a, in a more practical way.
2: Okay, so let's talk about the system landscape a bit more. So you mentioned the operational and financial systems not being connected in most organizations. So my assumption here is going to be, and you can correct me if I'm off here. So my understanding of the operational system that you are referring to is going to be some sort of MES system that actually talks to the machines. But there are going to be many different data sources that are going to be there on the shop floor. So I don't know how many data sources you typically utilize in the kind of data gathering that you guys do and data analysis that you guys do to be able to make the decisions for for your engagement. So typically, uh, what kind of data sets are going to be relevant? Is it going to be just the ERP data? Is it also going to be MES data? Also, we have the CAM system. Do you acquire data source from there? Do you look into the engineering data from the CAT system perspective? So what are the data sources that are really relevant from the operational and financial planning perspective?
0: And I'll talk about that from from a practical perspective right now, and then I'll sort of maybe touch on kind of how I see things changing here. But from a practical perspective, the the most basic information is how much of a certain product is trying to be, are you trying to build and, and when? And that's typically sitting on the MES side. The second one is what is the build standard? What is the standard cost for this product in the ERP? So what do you need to build for the customer? Like that's generally pretty clean data and that's easy to map. One of the biggest challenges is that the standards that sit in the ERP that describe how long it should take to produce product are typically a disaster. And because they're done so infrequently and changed infrequently, and they're changed infrequently because it is disruptive on the financial side to be changing standards. But the fact that we have a disconnect between the capability that we believe we have and that we're using for our plans and our actual capability is almost making the planning pointless. And, you know, you, we, we see cases, and one of the first things we do with our clients is, is a little bit of a, a validation of what their performance is per SKU compared to what they think it is. And that first glimpse of that is just shocking. And just even even the way that these standards are come up with, with, you know, if you send a co op to the shop floor to uh, perform a time study, really a time study shouldn't be a one time thing. You should have a 24 7 time study that's making sure that you have a clear and true view of what your actual capability is. So the two most simple things that that we connect to is the MES. What are you trying to build? When is it due? And, and we have examples of, of clients in the pharma space where delivering on time can mean the difference between getting a $40 million contract and not getting it. So yeah. it's critical for us to understand what is their goal, because we want to make our clients achieve those specific objectives. And we've always set up our model. Like we, we our company, we work on a month to month basis here. So at some point, if we're not earning our keep, we don't get to stay around here. So yeah, like what, what is your goal? What do you need to present produce for, for when? And then what is your actual capability? And then with those two, I, I would say that those that is like, you know, as I mentioned before with the example in the, um, the plant and simply getting maintenance to be more responsive to these mistakes. I would say that if you just connect the plan to your build targets to the shop floor and have a true view of your actual performance. That is a very big step for most manufacturers, and they and that, that will take them a long way.
2: Okay, so do you have any stories around the challenges associated with integrating the financial and operational data, right? The people who don't have, let's say, software background, sometimes it's just harder for them to understand why is integration so difficult when we are talking about two systems, and sometimes these two products could be from the same vendor. <laughs> so why yeah. is integration so challenging when we talk about two systems? let's say operational and financial.
0: Well, I think there's, there's a bit of a mindset change where it's, it's hard for people to recognize the value of connecting these two systems. So there's first off it's a mindset. I, I think yeah. on the technical side, and I know consultancies that are aware of both data sets, are aware of the planning data set and the operational data set, can connect these data sets in an effective way. So I, I would say it's the main challenge is for organizations to recognize the power of connecting planning to their true operational data set and then find the right kind of service partner to connect those two. Because at this point here, our, I would say the biggest challenges in our industry is no longer technological, it's behavioral, that we're not quick to jump onto new things. And in some ways, we're looking for that, that model here. So I, I, I would say it's just awareness, because technology is available, both and service, there's service providers available that can create that strong connection, so that you're not having to have two sets of books, you know, you can understand what your operational performance means on the financial side.
2: Okay, so do you have any stories that you might be able to share around the integration challenges that you have seen in your space?
0: Often when we begin to to chat with clients, the the first thing that they request is, you know, let's connect the data set to SAP, right? And uh, we can cover our part of that um, and consultants can come in as well. I think organizations don't often have a, an awareness of what's required on their side to actually create those connections. So often, what happens is that there's a, a motivation to make to make the connections. Many organizations don't have the internal. So one of the things that I'm sure you're aware of here is you can't create a live connection to SAP. It wasn't designed to do that. It's it's designed to have intermittent connections from a data perspective. So this is something that we we come across again and again. And in some ways, there is there needs to be a market push to connect these two data sets and. Maybe just, and I'm not even sure if the path that we will end up is one that goes through the ERP players that are currently in place. Because the way that the ERPs have been designed, the way that MESs have been designed, and these operational systems have been designed is with minimal interconnectivity. And maybe this is getting into a bit where I see things going. But yeah, no, there's a challenge here where we have a bunch of legacy software systems, and even more importantly, legacy behavior that is struggling us to switch from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things, which is to optimize for one thing. And that's what I said on the top here, which is optimize for our ability to deliver value to the customers, to maximize profits, and to make jobs better on the shop floor. To do that, you need to optimize one equation and not optimizing these data silos.
2: Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I like to cover is, and this is not really related to one specific vendor in my mind. And again, when we talk about SAP, SAP has many different products and they all have different versions. And that is good with any vendor out there, right? So some ERP system may be able to provide the live connectivity. Some ERP system may not be able to provide. Some ERP system may be able to connect with the MES system. But again, the capabilities that some of these companies may require could be different. So there are a lot of different variables when we talk about the software landscape as well. And that is something I think everybody needs to keep in mind. So do you have any other stories by any chance that you plan to cover that you could not cover as part of this episode?
0: Well, okay, so maybe this goes back to sort of my experience in manufacturing as well. But one of the consequences of not having a strong connection between the operational data set and the financial data set is you have many engineers, and I was one of these engineers when I was working in, in manufacturing, uh, struggle to make a compelling business case to financially motivated leadership to get them to invest in improvement projects. And what happens is that, so this is, this is something where many engineers struggle early on in their career and i think you you your background is one that has a background in finance which i think would benefit many engineers early on to understand how to follow the dollars all the way from, you know, the the, the money coming into those projects here. So I think a lot of projects start with, with, with best intentions, but the fact that engineers don't have that skill set to understand how to, to create that translation is making it difficult for them to be internal advocates to drive these improvement initiatives. So I, th- I think at some point it's um, in order to unblock, we need to be able to change the way that leaders view operational performance and have a much stronger tie to financial data and one of the ways to do this is to technology absolutely but i think this is something where there's a bit of a, a shortcoming on on how engineers are trained and even in organizations how the engineering side of organizations are run kind of as a they're project based versus continuous improvement focused and i think that mentality which which has been in manufacturing for a long time is kind of created this idea that engineering provides value by executing projects versus provides value by accelerating continuous improvement so it's not a specific story here, but I think there's a, a bit yeah. of a mindset changes that, that's needed in, in manufacturing, where if you are in engineering, you are almost by definition linked to continuous improvement and continuous improvement culture. Yeah. But but that mindset of, of being project-based disconnects them from that because a successful engineer is somebody who executes projects on time and on budget versus who provides more impact to, to the business in a way that's measurable financially.
2: Yeah, completely agree. So that's it for today. Martin, do you have any last minute closing thoughts?
0: Yeah, no, I think just as far as how things are going, I mentioned that earlier, the, you know, in some ways the ERP is smack in the middle of these challenges that we've been discussing. You know, a lot of the data that we is of massive value sits there. These the the operational data that sits next to it. Would naturally flows into it. And I think what's going to transform industry is by finding ways to leverage that data in a holistic way. And, and what I mean by that is that to track, we do, there's a lot of work in manufacturing to track how value is provided from the uh, person at the machine to the customer, but to actually map that financially and then optimize that is really where I believe our industry is going. One of the neatest things is that when, and maybe this is only here in Canada, but when you Google manufacturing. The first company that pops up is Shopify, which is kind of shocking that (laughs) Shopify has. So, and I'm in Ottawa, so this is a Shopify town. And that's sort of, I think that is sort of pointing in the direction of where things are going here, where we're going to have these systems. And maybe at some point, ERPs and operational data sy- data systems will simply be apps off the Shopify store. And why I see this happening is that the way to create really this, to optimize manufacturing and achieve all the promises that Industry 4.0 has is to connect that. So if you are an app on the Shopify store, by definition, you have access to data on the sales and marketing side, but you also have access to influence on the sales and marketing side. If you have access to the ERP data and costing and and planning and operational data, um, you basically are creating that full data connection from the, the person to the customer. And if we think about technologies that have been, you know, massively disruptive over the last 10 years, the, the companies that come to mind are Uber and Airbnb. And if you think about Uber, it's on first glance, you wouldn't, wouldn't say it's necessarily similar to manufacturing, but you have a person and you have equipment providing value to a consumer. Now, in that case, the reason why it works, it's, it works so well is because there is a direct connection between operational data, sales and marketing. It's all in one. And they've cut out all the inefficiencies. And I'm not speaking about whether or not you know they're, they're profitable or not here. And, and there is competition in that space. But to date, if you think about what Amazon and Shopify do, they don't complete that loop from the sales portion of things all the way down to person providing the value here. And the way to complete that loop is to connect those systems to the operational data systems. And I think that is when we're all looking for that Uber moment for Industry 4.0. And the Uber moment will happen when I when that is connected, when it is so clear and simple for SMB leaders to, to see how them using this system can provide more value to their customers, more profits and better jobs for their teams. And I think that's completing that loop is what's going to give our space that Uber moment where everybody will flood over. But until we do that, and as long as we continue to optimize these different systems in isolation, there's always going to be thrash and there's going to be and we'll continue going through pilot purgatory and where we we install something we think it should work but we at the end of the day we don't see those financial benefits And I think that's kind of the the big challenge for us that we need to now think horizontally and not vertically with regards to data.
2: That's an amazing and very interesting perspective. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be everybody knows that data is the new oil. But in the new world, I think connectivity is probably going to be the new norm. So the more connected we are, the better and more competitive we are going to be as the society and also as the organization. So on that note, Martin, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a fun conversation and very insightful. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the invite, uh, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Martin, head over to raven.ai. It's R-A-V-E-N dot A-I. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you, and your business, you might want to check out the related episodes, including the interview with Dave Griffith, who discusses why manufacturers must look for low-hanging fruits when exploring the path of Industry 4.0. Also, the interview with Susan Walsh, who discusses how to normalize your product, customer, and vendor data to avoid planning and forecasting issues with your inventory.